Attention all insurance agents with a current life or medical insurance license. SelectQuote has immediate openings for licensed insurance agents looking to build a rewarding career. And you can even work from the comfort of your home. Our average employee makes $75,000 and our top performers make well over $150,000 per year. Yes, I said $150,000. Insurance professionals, are you sick of looking and paying for leads? Would you like to have more than one product or carrier solution to offer? Do you wish that your entrepreneurial spirit and hard work was rewarded? If you answered yes and you feel you have what it takes select quote is looking for you with a fun and fast work environment multiple products pre-qualified leads and great training this is an opportunity you do not want to miss apply online at selectquote.com backslash careers or call 800-896-9009 to learn more select quote is hiring right now don't miss out call 800-896-9009 or visit selectquote.com backslash careers call 800-896-9009 800-896-9009 Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't live a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Haunting History Podcast. I am your host, Kat, and with me is my sidekick, Haley. Hi. Haley's going to be reading all the questions that we've received. Thank you so much for everybody who wrote in and sent us messages on every single social media that we have. I wanted to start with a couple of things. This is going to be, this episode is episode nine and the next episode is episode 10 and that's where we're going to end this story. And in episode 10, I'm not going to be speaking a lot. I want it to be all the the families of John and of Debbie. So I wanted to just let you know that that will be our last episode, but we will be coming back as we get information. We'll do little bonus episodes. We're going to be MIA for probably about a month. We'll come back mid-September and we're going to be going back to our regular programming or regular stories that we did before we did the disappearance of Deborah Lynn. I've received several, I don't even know how many more cases that we could do from the Doe Network, but we're going to spend some time doing our, our regular old fashioned, what would you call that? We, what we usually do. I don't know. Variety of stories. History, history stories, true crime and history. And if there's paranormal in it, we're going to include that too, because we're coming up on the Halloween season too. So we're going to take like a little break um, between the season 10, I mean, episode 10 of season three, and we'll be back mid-September with season four. And again, as, as we get information, because we still will get information regarding this case, if the Roccos end up contacting us, I will be sure to let you know um, if we get any results back from anything or any more information, we will do bonus episodes and let you guys know what's going on. The one thing I wanted to start with before Haley starts asking questions, she's going to start, she's going to be reading all your questions is in the last episode. I had kind of questioned whether Debbie's last entry was on April 25th because clearly that she did right on April 25th. But, um, it looks like, and I had Haley look at this April 27th looks like it's her also. It's a little weird, but it's a doctor's appointment. She writes, um, Dr. Golden for Jack's eye. 
And then the 28th is definitely John. That is not Debbie writing. And then on the 30th, what it looks like is Deborah's writing saying Josh, Jack, Josh's or Jack's? Jack's eye much better today is her writing. And then under that, it's John's writing that says Dr. Jacobs got $15 credit from insurance. So her I last, think it's for sure her writing. Her last entry. The beginning of the 30th and then it's her. And then it's, and then it's John. Yeah. So her last entry was April 30th. And then there's nothing on May 1st. May 2nd and 3rd are missing, which is an entire page. And then the 4th, there's no writing. And we want to reiterate again that other than what I just mentioned, there's writing on every single page. But there is nothing on May 4th, which is a little odd, I think. I think she would have written that she was that she got a phone call about her mom. And then um, May 5th is where John starts. So I just wanted to clarify that. And I will get those pictures up on our episode page. So go ahead, Haley. What's our first questions? Okay, so we're going to start with Brittany. Brittany says, Hi, guys. I just finished listening to today's episode. This could be a total stretch, but I just have to share. After hearing John's entries in a diary after Debbie went missing, I'm really struggling with the idea of him killing her. I totally think the S mean meant sex. She also documented her period, so I'm sure she wanted to be able to know her timing if she got pregnant. I'm wondering if the squiggles around the S's were times she was having sex with someone else. Clearly, John read her diary, so she wouldn't have documented any sort of an affair. But Nurse Debbie would have wanted to know who the father was if she were to get pregnant. And documenting when she had sex with who would be the only way to do that. Also, something is up with the best friend ever, in quotes. I was totally with you that it made no sense that they just met weeks before she disappeared. Strange. Okay, so the first part, the S is... I mean, I don't disagree. I don't know what I don't disagree with. The S is in... The S's are clearly, going back over it, and I have to tell you that I am probably on my seventh time reading both diaries front to back. And I don't think it's, I don't think like the super decorated ones are when she was having sex with someone else. She clearly loved her husband. And if he was reading her diary, she would decorate the S's and it would be days that she said a little morning love or today, like the love was excellent today or something. So if he was reading her diary, then clearly he he would know whether he had great sex that morning or not. Although that's not about that. I'm so glad that people are like thinking outside the box. But I don't I don't think that's valid. I think that he was reading it and I think that she knew he was reading it and he probably knew what the S meant also. As far as Denise, yeah. It's there's I'm always gonna find that so strange. Yeah, there's gonna be a little bit more about Denise towards the end because more people ask about her. So we'll talk about that. Our next one is from Michelle. She says, I was looking for any clues because there are two pictures on the internet that have haunted me for a couple of years. There are photos taken by a serial killer, Rodney Akala. There are more than 400 pictures that can't be released due to the graphic nature. He found his victims at beaches and at the LA airport, and he was finally caught July 1979. I know that you have already done so very much, and I didn't know if there was any way to get more info on those photos to see if there are more of the ones shown. It may be a long shot, but when I came across these pictures, I had chills. Okay. So that is, it's valid. And I read somewhere that Debbie was, by the way, this is someone from um, Debbie's family who wrote this. The, the Doe network, Debbie has been on the Doe network and NamUs since the beginning because all of that started well after her disappearance. So she's been on there 
And I read that she's been looked at for the Rodney Acula because he was very active in 1979 in Southern California at beaches. He found a lot of his victims at the beaches and she spent a lot of time at the beaches. That being said, though, I um, I submitted her again to look out for the Rodney Acula just so that we could get a definitive answer. And I will get back to you to let you know whether that her she's been checked off or if they're still looking at it. I will make sure that 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 I follow up on that. Our next one is from Diane in Oxnard. She says, my comment is to John's diary entries after Deborah left. If he indeed dropped her off at the airport, why didn't he go back there to talk to anyone who may have seen her? Maybe a baggage handler or someone working at the airline terminal check-in. He never mentions it. He writes a lot about scouring Santa Monica, but if his eyes were lost on her at the airport, he should have been there handing out flyers. Someone coming or going from one of the Pennsylvania flights from the terminal he dropped her off at could have seen her and remembered her. A petite blonde traveling by herself with super blonde twin boys, they would have stood out. It bugs me that he writes nothing about the airport or dropping her off. He just says, call yellow cab companies, as though after dropping her off, she left in one. Well, where was the following through on that? He doesn't even detail the phone conversation with whom he spoke to in Pennsylvania. We know he was questioned about it by the police and sheriff's office, but these diary entries don't bode well for him. I feel there was more he could have done in the search, but didn't. I don't imagine that he wrote everything down. If if Debbie truly disappeared and John had nothing to do with it, I don't know that he had his wits about him all the time. I think that he was probably very worried and he may have gone back and wrote things after the fact. As far as the airport thing, he does write, and I read that, and I can't find it right this second to read it to you again, but if you go back to the last episode, you will hear it. He spent from something like 9 o'clock at night until 1230 at the airport where he was looking at the airport and then he spent the night at the Rocco's house because they didn't get home until 130 in the morning. So that is in here. I'm, I can't find it right this second because it would take me a long time, but he did spend a ton of time at the airport and they did talk to all the cabbies. It was one of the theories of the, the detectives that she could have walked in one door, stood in line until he left and then walked right back out and got in a cab. So I think that just because of the fact that the detectives told him that, that he probably did focus on that a little bit, but he did spend an, a, a big chunk of time at the airport. The second part of Diane's questions or comments are, this is just my guess on why Deborah called the twins Finns. It's probably how the twins refer to themselves in their toddler way of talking. Also, the twins probably dubbed McDonald's as McDingdong or however it was written. And she just goes along with it. Like how she goes along with referring to John as data at times when he, in regards to them. Also, the first day she picked them up from school, I bet the twins were feeling pretty proud about how smart they were. And she was probably going along with it in her diary entry as in, oh, you think you're so smart, you went to school. In a playful reference to them saying it themselves, perhaps. She seemed like she was a very doting mother. If she did just take off, there's no question she wouldn't have taken those boys with her. She never would have left them. She was preparing on having them stay home from preschool for the whole summer before they disappeared. This whole case is mind-boggling. If only the Roccos would talk. And don't write off that we were best friends character either. It's so bizarre. Thanks for your time. Keep up the good work you're doing here. Okay, so go scroll back up a little bit. Oh, the Finns. The Finns. Okay, big <laughs> newsflash. 
The Finns were called the Finns because they were Pisces. Oh. I know. And I just found that out. A family member remembered why and told me the other day. So a couple of people had that theory, and it made perfect sense that. Yeah, I used to. What did I used to call my brother? Bubby, because you couldn't say say his name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you used to say Lello instead of Yellow. Okay, well, whatever. So it is a good theory. Um, The thing is, is that they weren't really talking when she was already calling them the Finns. She was calling them the Finns far before they started talking. So um, the Finns actually is a reference to their horse, their astrological sign. That makes sense. Now, reading that she wrote everyone's signs yeah. in her diary and stuff, she's yeah. clearly. And there was something that they wrote at the end of that that I wanted to address about. Oh, the, the, um, the song probably right. It was the day they started school, so she was probably making a reference to them going to school. I agree with her. Go ahead. Our next question is from Rachel and Zach. They asked what documented cults were happening at this time in their area. That was such a big time for cults and average Americans looking for answers outside of the Christianity. There were at least 10 documented um, cults during 1979, four major ones. And I can't remember the names of them. And it's very difficult to get information of the members. We've kind of narrowed it down um, to really the only viable one because a lot of them either, well, one of them, like everyone died and then, Another one just kind of dissipated. But the only ones that were where you would go in and change your name and you could have taken your kids and things like that was really Scientology. And to be quite frank, I have not figured out how to determine if she joined Scientology or not. I think any cult, it would be hard for anyone to figure out if a missing mom and kids went to like that would be a dead end we would never be able to figure out. no and i don't think that the police even considered it to be honest it just wasn't her thing it wasn't she was too easygoing and she wasn't i don't know it just doesn't it doesn't fit her personality i don't think either i mean i don't think that she was really looking for anything else aside from the way that she was raised and the way that john were living but the only i think really the the biggest viable one would be Scientology. And I don't, I don't know how we would find out. Another question from Rachel and Zach is, did they run John's DNA to see if there was a match for the boys? And we are running, uh, currently we are dealing Jocelyn, which Jocelyn, which is Debbie's niece has done her DNA and Ron Kidwell, John's brother has offered to do his DNA. So either way we will, if they are out there, and they have done their DNA, we will we'll track them down. And just to go back to the first episode, Debbie's DNA was, they had her dental records, DNA in NamUs and in, in CODIS, and so was her mom's and her sister's. So if there was a missing or identified body that came up that were one of the boys, they would have matched them already to that. They also asked, what does your doctor resource think of her diary? I was bothered by her detachment to her first seizure episode. She, quote, felt really bad he was hurt and continued on after she dropped him. Um, I think that's, I, I haven't asked him that specific question and I can, but I think that she lived with her seizures for her entire life. It wasn't like an adult onset thing. So she carried on with her life. When she had a seizure, it would take 15 to 20 minutes for, to recover and then she would go on. It wasn't, 
with the exception of the one that she talks about in January, it didn't go on for days or anything like that. It was relatively short. It was a few minutes she wouldn't remember. And then she would go on with her life. I think it was just like anything else that you have, you have diabetes and you have to give yourself insulin shots. You just, you just deal with it. And then we got this question a lot. Why did Deborah never talk about work in her journal? Is such a good question. I don't know, but I have a theory. John would have written if he didn't know the comment about the other lady saying that she was making $60 a night. He says that like that was extreme. Like I doubt if she's really making $60 a night. He would have said, what are you talking? Like what was she making $60 a night on? I'm wondering if all the time she's saying she's going to the Rocco's or to Marlene's, she, I think she worked at their restaurant. So she may not have been going just to their house. Her references to going to the Rocco's and going to Marlene's or more so probably going to Frank's might've been going to the restaurant. Going into work. Yeah. Going to waitress. That's just a guess. Her family knew that she was waitressing. So um, that's the only thing I can think of because I know that they owned a restaurant. It's in the back of the diary. And I believe um, that's the restaurant that she worked at. So it's my only guess. I don't know why she doesn't talk about anything else and why she doesn't keep track of the money in the diary because she talks a lot about money. So that's weird. A few more questions from them. Where do you guys see this resolving? I don't. I think we're going to, as far as us, as far as our podcast goes, I think that we're going to end it with the possibility, with just open possibilities, I guess. I don't think that we're going to get a finality out of it. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't have a finale in, in my own head half the time. What are your serious opinions on who did it? I don't have one. I don't have one. There's days where I'm convinced that she may have walked away. And then there are days where I'm convinced that she may have not lived past the night of of May 4th. And that the man that she loved may have had something to do with it. But then I'll read something or I'll do something and be completely on the other side. So my opinion is that I don't have an opinion and I don't think that's my job anyways. I think my job was to tell the story of John and Deborah and Josh and Jax. And I hope that I've done that. But as far as having an opinion at the end of all this, I, I don't have one. I don't have one. And then we have a comment from Jennifer who says the same thing as earlier. She says, being a mother of a starting to talk toddler, hands down they called them the Finns because that's how the boys pronounce twins. We do the same thing when our daughter uses cute versions of words. Yeah, I, lo- I mean, I loved that. It was just so brilliant that someone thought of that. If someone hadn't told me that it was all about their um, horoscopes, horoscopes, I would have thought, you know, that was the reason also. And then a comment from Diane says, the Golden State Killer lived in Ventura County during the time that Deborah lived there. Uh, same thing with um, the Rodney Acola thing. Deborah and the boys have, well, Deborah more so than the boys, the boys just got added in recent years, um, has been in NamUs, CODIS, and the Doe Network for many, many, many years. So when any of these DNA things come up with any serial killers in the area, they go back to those resources 
and try and match them up. But also with the Rodney Acola case, I submitted, um, I sent some emails out just to verify that. And I will get back to you all on that. John from the Abercast asked a couple questions. Firstly, do you have any developments on the religious group theory? So we kind of answered yeah, that. Yeah, the same thing that I think that if there were any viable ones, it might have been Scientology. And then he asked, why are the cops always chasing her out of the skate park? The 90s skater punk in me kept saying, come on, cops, skateboarding is not a crime. I know, that's so true, though. It's so true, but honestly, I think she calls it a skate park or she refers to it as a skate park. What I think it was was probably a drained pool at the city park. I don't think it was technically a skate park. And I think that's why sometimes there was broken glass there. It wasn't run by anybody. It wasn't like she was paying 10 bucks to get into the van skate park. I think it was just an abandoned pool. And then we have some from Instagram first from your friend, Sarah, the S's that you mentioned had me thinking of what it could stand for. Both of your hypothesis could make sense. I was also thinking maybe it could refer to the days that she takes her seizure medication because you mentioned how she also circles L's and R's when describing things on the boys. Just a thought that popped into my head. Loving this series. You guys are doing very mysterious, emotional and thought provoking. Keep it up. Uh I mean, that is a, a valid, a valid other option other than I, I'm convinced. When she blatantly. Blatantly doesn't take the, yeah, she doesn't. I, I don't know. I, I really think it has a lot. I think it sucks. I mean, I don't think. Well, because she was writing. Like good love this morning. Right. Or, yeah. She was commenting further on it. Yeah. I think, I think it was sex. That's a brilliant point, but I don't, I don't think that's what it was. Susan says, I just finished it. I really believe he did not know what happened to them. I cannot see him writing all of that information about what he was doing after she went missing. I also have a few questions. The days that they were missing, were the pages there and then they were just blank? Or did the police not give them to you? And were the parts that were either cut out or blocked by the police in the parts that you're reading? Okay, there was nothing blocked out by the police at all. And to be honest, um, particularly on... The May 2nd and 3rd, I think the pages may have stuck together when they were photocopying it. I don't think it was intentional. I don't think there's anything nefarious about it. I think it might have just been an accident in photocopying. Interesting. And I think that with the other pages that were missing too, is that um, the one diary is 116 pages and then the other one is 172 pages. So the person photocopying it very easily could have made a mistake. I really, the, this one had a little crack on the spine, 1979. So a page could have fallen out, but it wasn't enough missing for it to be sort of a nefarious thing. Like John pulled out a page and threw it away or something. It doesn't seem like that at all. She continues on to say she really sounded happy and stable. She obviously loved her kids, her husband, and her life. It didn't sound like they had money problems. They had friends who they socialized with. She'd help with the kids when she needed it. They had a good sex life. They sound like they genuinely liked each other and enjoyed the same things. I don't get it. I think she had some sort of psychotic episode and something happened to her after that. I don't think he killed her. What do you guys think? Also, have you ever seen anything about what flights were available the night she left to see where she could have gone? I hope that the Rockos hear this and have a change of heart and contact you. By the way, my daughter's Italian boyfriend said it's not Rocco. It's the way you wanted to pronounce it, Kat. So point for you, I guess. I have always said it Rocco, but we say things funny here in Philly. Did you call her the car dealership? Could there be someone there that would remember this? Okay, first of all, the Rocco thing. 
I cannot tell you how many phone calls and messages I got. And my sister even sent me the Google link to listen to how to say Rocco. And it's... It said Rocco, but... I mean, I'm sure... There's different, different pronunciations. Yeah. yeah, and I do. Um, I agree. I hope that they do decide to talk. I hope that if they don't talk to me, that they choose to talk to anyone in the families. I, I, I hope that they at least do that. Um, what else did she say? Flights available. Flights available. Yes, the police checked all the outgoing flights at night. They're actually in 1979, and I don't have a count, but... In 1979, at 11 o'clock, after 11 o'clock at night, there weren't a ton of flights that were leaving that night. And um, I don't have the list, and I've been trying to get some kind of list, but it's it's just not that easy. But the police checked all of the flights to make sure they weren't on any of them. Her last question was, did you call a dealership? Could there be someone there that would remember this? Yes, and yes, I called the dealership. Um, I, it, my communication skills were off or theirs was off and they couldn't really answer my question. So I went through and found the family members that own the dealership and sent them all emails and I've not heard back yet, but it hasn't been that long. It's only been a couple of days. So I, um, yeah, I'm hoping that someone there still remembers John and can give us some information about what was going on at that time. We'll, we'll see again. It'll be a bonus episode and we'll let you know. K underscore 21 from Instagram commented, does anyone else find it extremely weird that she never mentions work in the diary? She mentions literally everything else, where she went, if it was fun, who she was with, what and how much medicine she took and more, but nothing about work. Yeah, I mean, amen. Yeah, we've talked about that. I think that maybe when she was saying she was going to Frank's, she might have been saying it might have been her going to work. I I don't know. And I would have thought she would have written more. Yes, I agree. And then she also says, I don't think it's weird that in the first diary, she doesn't write every day slash going through spurts. I personally find it hard to keep up with a diary. So it's possible she would just forget or was working on creating the habit, which she seems she did in today's episode. So in the second diary, I just started listening this season and I love you guys. Oh, we love you too. Um, I agree. I agree the first time. I think she was trying to determine what she was going to put in there. Was it going to be all about the boys? Was it going to be about her? Was it going to be about her life? I think she was just kind of struggling to figure out what she was going to do. Catherine M. Reader from Instagram said, Great episode. It sounds like John wrote behind everything Deb had written. That seems suspicious to me. I'm just wondering if he ever wrote first on the page, like the top half, and then she wrote right underneath his writings on the bottom half of the same page. If not, that suggests he's doctored the diary. I'm also not surprised that he hasn't commented or corrected his entries because his were added after she went missing, most likely. Um, yeah, there is a couple pages where it looks like she, like he, she wrote after him, like he wrote in something. And then there's one specific that I took a picture of and I'll put on the episode web page from last week that, um, shows, yeah, that they were both writing together basically. But he writes a lot less frequently. Way less frequent. Yes. In the 1979 one. Yeah, he does. He it's does. definitely mostly her. It's definitely mostly her, but it doesn't look like he went behind her on every single one and wrote. It looks like there are a couple where they kind of wrote together, like they were feeding off each other kind of thing. Rachel from Instagram says, so many things I'm still confused about and hoping you'll touch on again. One, Deborah's comment to Rocco's that you referenced of how do you make someone disappear? Super odd. And why wouldn't the daughter let you talk to the parents? 
Yes, it is super weird. But Frank didn't tell the police that. John told the police that Deborah asked Frank. We never got any information that the police even followed up on that comment. And until the Rockos, you know, decide to talk to us, we won't know if that actually transpired transpired or not. And it was it was a really weird statement and I think it speaks volumes. So yeah, I would like to know if she did ask Frank that and what did Frank tell her? And I can't answer why Eve didn't let me speak to her parents. It, other than her parents are elder and her statement was, is that 40 years later, they're still heartbroken and they declined to comment. I can't, I can't speculate on why that is. I have no idea. Secondly, she says, I know you say 1978 diaries all about the boys, but she really doesn't mention her family at all or any regular phone calls that were supposedly happening and talks about so much other mundane stuff. So she's just commenting on that, I think. Um, yeah, and she does a couple times she'll write like on the top of the page, letter to Brenda or letter from Brenda or called mom or something like that. It's not it's not often. No, it's not often, but she does she does mention it every once in a while. She also asks about the trust fund and comments, couldn't that be a major motivator for somebody? I mean, you can't speculate on that. I don't know. The trust fund is mentioned twice. Once saying that the last person in the trust fund has passed. And once with John saying, or her saying that John told her that he wasn't going to have to pay taxes. And it was written that, that you know, like that. He, he wasn't going to have to pay taxes, not we weren't going to have to pay taxes. So and I don't know. I've actually asked Ron about it or I've told Ron about it and I, I don't know that he knows either. So. And then lastly, she asked, what about the construction guy who moved to North Carolina? I would say that's the number one comment that we get is what happened to the handsome stranger or the construction worker or the maintenance man. It's definitely something that I'm curious like I'm about. most interested in. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is, is I can't find him. And to be honest, I'm not a police officer. I'm not an investigator. I have no protection behind me. And the man that was supposedly the maintenance man slash painter slash handsome stranger was wanted for a felony theft in Ventura the month prior to her disappearing. And he never showed back up for court again. He never appeared in California and technically would have a warrant still to this day, except the statute of limitations have run out. So as far as me aggressively tracking him down, I don't, I don't know how safe that is. I don't know who he is. I have definitely tried though. I mean, that hasn't held me back at all. I've tried to trace him. I've tried, I've reached out to many, 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 many Michael Coddles. And, um, I have the brothers first names too. So I've tried to match him up. There was one that I thought was really viable and I was told it was not him. So that he never lived in Ventura, that he never knew a Debbie Kidwell. So yes, I would like to know more. The police did follow up um, with that theory and checking him out. Um, but they left it at the fact that he left four months prior to her disappearance. And that was the thing that I was going to check was that supposedly he went to North Carolina and there were not flights going to North Carolina that night. I did check for that. And the second thing is, is... I don't even know if that was true. I don't know if the brother saying he was going to North Carolina he could have been going to Mexico. I don't know. So yes, I have tried. Yes, I'm interested in hearing what he has to say, but I have yet 
to find him. And as aggressively as I try and find most people, I feel like maybe something's held me back a little bit, but I don't, I don't think I could do anything different than what I've done to try and find him. She asked another question. Do they have proof that tickets were purchased? Just not that they boarded the plane. No, they did not. There was no proof, no tickets purchased. And she comments to say, for what it's worth, if she really was keeping the journal as more of a baby book for the kids, then I don't think it's weird that he writes in it, nor that he refers to himself in third person. I'm keeping a similar journal, and I refer to myself as mommy or first person I interchangeably. She continues to comment saying, also strange. She receives a large sum of money, but then soon after, John sells the surfboard. Would think you'd have to be pretty hard up to sell something that special and wonder why you'd need to go to those lengths. Separate note, kicking down the door of a salon over a perm shows some sort of erratic aggression, given that she's described as so mellow otherwise. Um, I don't know that she's described as mellow. I think she was... Uh... I would say she seems to be like lighthearted and easygoing. Easygoing, but not mellow. I don't, mellow is not the word I would describe her as. I would describe her as um, like happy-go-lucky. Like, like ha- you know, I don't know how to explain it, but that's mellow. Mellow to me is like super laid back. And she just seemed like she was constantly on the go. Super laid back and constantly on the go does not seem like the same. But easygoing person also maybe wouldn't kick down the door of a salon. Yeah, I mean, she didn't really do she was really angry they were both really angry about her perm i mean i get it i would be mad if i spent money on something i mean 70 dollars in 1979 was a long time ago i mean it was a lot of money but the other thing is too is that the irrationality of it she mentions three times that the lady told her if she did not cut her hair the perm would not work and she still insisted on getting the perm without cutting her hair and then at the end of it they're both mad so i don't i the rationality of that just makes no sense to me at all. Uh, but I don't think she really kicked in the door. She also called them crumbly, bumbly shit asses. So I, that doesn't sound like someone who goes around kicking doors, but um, that's the only time that she seemed like she was really, really, really angry. And again, she called them crumbly, bumbly shit asses. She, I don't know. Not, not, she's not a door kicker. Shelly from Facebook said, just listened, and I must say they need to come faster. I listen while running and have ran out of episodes, and I'm sure that S in her journal was when they had sex. My thought, I wonder if she was trying to conceive. I can't count the days while running, but she seemed disappointed each month when she started. I agree. It's so funny. I didn't think about that. And again, I've read this thing back and forth six times. And kind of going back to Rachel's comment above about me saying, oh, weird, John wrote that. Oh, that's weird is when I'm reading it out loud, even though I've read it as many times as I did, I'm catching different nuances as I read it. So I don't think it's weird that John wrote in the diary. I don't think it's weird that he would put his name in parentheses. I think that he was maybe saying, like, I wrote this. And um, to go to what she's saying, I about number seven, I it hit me that she may have been keeping track of it Suddenly in 1979, the boys were three now. They may have been trying to have another kid. Yeah. Because she wasn't doing it in the first one. And in the second one, the boys are three. They're walking. They're past the terrible twos. That maybe, I mean, I think it's like very. It's time to have another Yeah, kid. I think it's very likely that she was keeping track of it because of that. I mean, I don't, I don't know. No one's, no one in the family knows that, about that. But you know, the Rockos would have known if they were trying to have a kid, so. They Again, would. 
I would think they would. They spent every day with them. I think. Oh, you're saying again yeah. if we could again, talk to the Broncos. If we could, yes, yeah. I think that we could clarify a lot of things. April, also from Facebook, asks, are there any pics of her and the boys anywhere? Just curious if someone has thought of doing age progression pictures on the photos that are available. Just a thought. Yeah, we have submitted a request um, to a federal agency for the age progression. They're very expensive to have done, and they have to meet certain criteria to have them done for for someone to do them for you, for them to be like, okay, let's do an age progression. And I don't know that this, the evidence that they have regarding whether Josh and Jax were still alive, if there's an, if it meets the criteria of having the age progression done. I mean, it's not to say that, that the families could not come together and pay for an age progression to be done. They definitely could, but again, it's really expensive and um, federal agencies will do that for free for the families if there's, if they meet the criteria of um, having that done, like it's, it's believed that they are, there's enough evidence to believe that they are still alive. So we have submitted that. Um, we've done it. It was probably right when we first started. So again, that's another thing I'll get back to you if we hear back regarding that. Rochelle from Facebook asks about the plane again. She says, I know you were able to confirm she never got on the flight. She allegedly was going to get on, but is there a way to confirm with other plane manifests from that day slash airport to see if she got on any other plane? I believe the police did. I believe that I know that the police did check that out. There's no evidence that her or the boys got on any plane. Christy asks, just finished yesterday's episode. Another thought you may have already gone there, but something was up that last week when she didn't write in the diary. Did he disappear her before May 4th? You probably thought about it, but the new one I got today was she thinking about leaving mentally changed for whatever reason that week and didn't write anything because she knew she was leaving. Consider frame of mind she would be in if she was leaving. It might cause her to act differently. Crazy neighbor Denise said she was acting under pressure. Yeah. We have all rallied around this crazy Denise. Denise I know, poor Denise. <laughs> we, she might have rallied been against her. <laughs> she might, may have been a perfectly sweet, kind person. I don't know. E- yes, absolutely. We have considered that. Um, I mean, I'm, we know that she was, well, we don't know that she was still alive, but it wasn't like her to jump ahead, I don't think. And we know that she wrote in the diary on April 30th. So after that, we don't have any indication. No one saw her. No one talked to her. The last person to hear her again was Frank on the phone on April 28th. And then we believe that she wrote in the diary on, on April 30th. So May 1st, April 30th. So May 1st, May 2nd, May 3rd, May 4th. And then he reported on May 5th. So yes, there are four days missing from Deborah's life. And one of the articles said that John waited five days to report her missing. The police say that no, he didn't. He saw her on May 4th and reported her on May 5th. But there are no eyewitnesses after May 28th. There's or, or auditory witnesses after May t- April 28th. And the last diary entry is April 30th. So yes, it has been discussed endlessly that nobody saw Deborah or the boys for that for those four days. We we don't know. It it there were days where she wasn't feeling well, where she didn't go anywhere for a couple of days. So it's not that unreasonable to think she may not. The boys could have been sick still. The other boy could have gotten something wrong with his eye. She could have got something wrong with her eye. I don't know. But yes, there are days missing up to May 5th that we. We don't know. We don't know anything about. 
The trust thing is still really on my mind, and as you said, it sounds like the beneficiary was John, not Deb. I think you should ask Ron if he knew anything about it. Does her exact wording make it seem as though it's just a payment from the trust, indicating that there would be more periodic payments? I think that, I, I don't know. I really can't comment on the trust. It, again, it's mentioned twice. I have asked about it. I don't know that we'll get any answers about that. If they had an insurance person come to the house, I think they could even have been bundling life and medical insurance together. I would imagine a salesman would try to get you to do that. You, um, Your guess is as good as mine, but she writes, got me insurance. That's what she wrote. Right. She doesn't say, we, we got insurance, we bundled our insurance. She said, got me insurance. Um, a question about birth control. Do we know from any medical records, it says she had a pap if she was on birth control of any sort. I agreed that the S's were probably about sex and imagine that she was tracking to get pregnant or avoid getting pregnant. Do the number and frequency of the S's match up with a 28-day cycle? Um, the S's are almost on every page, so... Yeah, they're frequent. Yeah, they're very, very frequent. Again, like I said earlier, uh, almost like someone is trying to get pregnant. As far as birth control, I don't know. Her medical records, as far as that go, are not public record and they never will be. So that would be something that someone very close to her would be able to answer and not, not her doctors will not be telling me that. Some of my broader thoughts are whether or not the S's or the trust could be a code for something else, like drugs, work, or sex with somebody else, if S's are distinct. Except again, the S's are on pages where she writes having sex with her husband was great or whatever, and he's clearly seeing the diary. So I, it, that seems a little unreasonable and... As far as the trust and drugs, I I don't know. They both wrote about the trust. He she wrote he wrote something in the top corner about the trust, and then she wrote that he wasn't going to pay taxes on it. The trust was obviously not a big deal to them. They would have they wrote more, far more about other things than they did that trust. There is definitely a lot left out of this diary. I disagreed that I felt you could get a better sense of their dynamic or relationship from this. Other than comments about their sex life, I didn't feel like she wrote anything very vulnerable or anything that revealed the true relationship or how much she felt about anything. In the 1979 diary, it felt less like this was a keepsake for the kids in any way. In fact, it seems to be more of a tracker than anything. The main things being not writing about work at all is very strange. Did John know she worked? She was so focused on purchases, you'd think she might calculate income. I am surprised that she didn't calculate income. And John doesn't seem surprised when he talks to the girls about how much she was making every night other than the amount. The amount. He doesn't seem surprised by the fact that she was making money. And um, as far as what was the first part? Just commenting about how this, the 1979 diary felt less like this was a keepsake for the kids. In it way. definitely, no, it was definitely wasn't a keepsake and it may have been more of a tracker, but as far as her, as saying that, I feel like we get more insight into who they were or into, it, it definitely feels different 78 to 79, but she's also not a, a 12 year old girl. She's not putting balloons and flowers or unhappy faces. She's writing about her daily life when she has sex with her husband whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's different, like she wrote that one day. Um, but she does write like how much she loves her husband. Like I love my skates, but I love my husband more and things like that. And I think that is personal. I think that's personal and appropriate for a 26 year old. She writes about her mood, about being happy, about people not liking her. So I, I disagree with her. I feel like, I feel like Debbie was writing her thoughts 
I don't think she was treating it like it was a locked diary either, though. I don't, it was probably sitting on the counter. If Eve could get into it and write in it, it wasn't something she kept hidden under her mattress. I feel like we've learned more about their day-to-day life from this one. Than the first one. Yeah, she talks so much about the Rocco's. She talks so much about the husband. She talks so much about doing all these crazy activities. Like, they're busy every day. Uh I think that definitely shows us what their life was like. And how much time they spent together. Yeah. Someone asked about the Rocco's. They seem to be an interesting choice and best friends for a younger couple with very small kids. Their children are not the same age. The kids are much older, so I assume Frank and Marlene are older, too. They seem to be a ton of time with them, and they are everything to them. Friends, babysitters, etc. I wonder if the Rocco's were regular drug users and the Kidwells were also using over there a lot. Has Jocelyn tried to get a hold of them? I wonder if it were her as family just asking to know more about who Debbie was that they might talk to her. No, Jocelyn has not tried to get in touch with the Rocco's. And um, again, I'm hoping, I know that I, I believe that they're listening to the podcast and I hope that if they choose not to speak to me, that they do choose to speak to any, either family, um, John's family or Debbie's family. Um, and I mean, cause we do have a ton of questions that we could ask them and there's probably a lot of information they could give us. That doesn't necessarily have to be on the podcast. It doesn't necessarily, it's not. Yeah. If it, this was all for just family, the whole point of this was to get answers for the families. And if the Rocco's can provide that and they decide to do that outside of the podcast, then you know, I hope that's what they decide. I hope they do. I hope they do that. But Jocelyn has not contacted them herself yet. No. Um, if she does it, that would be on her own. It would not be through me. And as far as them being older, yes, they were older than they were definitely older than, um, John and Debbie, but Frank and John seemed very close and maybe they met through the restaurant. Maybe they just thought of him as family. I mean, John had an older brother, so it's not that weird that he would hang out with someone older. And Debbie had many older brothers and sisters. It's not that weird that she would be friends with someone that was older either. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah, go ahead. I think there was more. I don't, to comment on her um, asking about the drugs or speculating that maybe the Rockers were also drug users and so the Kidwells in turn were also using drugs. I don't necessarily, I feel like that would have come out somewhere. I yeah I think it would definitely would have come out in the police files if there was drug use I because I don't know I mean other than smoking pot I think that everybody smoked pot in the seventies I don't think as far as like drug use like quote unquote drug use like if they were doing serious drugs yeah and I mean and we don't know I don't even want to speculate on that their life was their life and I don't I don't even it has nothing to do with the story and I I vowed from the beginning that I wouldn't bring up stuff that wasn't part of the story and. The police and the investigation and any files I've gotten have not brought up anything that had to do with drug use other than um, being partially the cause of why John was ill and his his past originally. But as far as them doing drugs together, I think that the investigation probably would have told us. And as far as speculating about the Rockos, I'm, I'm not even going to do that. I, it's not my business. What about John's sister, Diane? Did you try to talk to her? Would she know anything about the Rocco's? I have tried to find Diane. I've reached out many, many, many places to find Diane. And I just recently asked Ron if I could get her contact information. I've not heard back yet. Diane was with John a lot at the after the disappearance. So I would love to hear um, what was going on because clearly um, John and Diane were close at the time. 
John yelling at Marlene on the phone about the car is out of line to me. I know it was a different time and can see that it may not have been so off base for the times in a super masculine world, but weird nonetheless. Uh, I don't know. I've been really close with um, another another couple, like my husband and I have been close with, really close with other friends. And sometimes you just get in arguments. It's not that weird. Yeah, friends fight. It's yeah, I don't. I think they were, they were with each other every single day. I don't think it's that weird that... And I don't know why borrowing the car would trigger it. I mean, other than she did something to the car the first time because that was the second time she was borrowing it. So he was a mechanic. Maybe she did something to the car the first time. And he's like, no, you're not borrowing it again. You didn't take care of it the first time and hurt her feelings. I don't know. But I don't think it's that weird for two couples who were that close for him yeah, to get mad at her. And she said everything was fine after. I, I don't think that's so weird. I don't. I don't know. And then is Buffalo the handyman? I wouldn't think that he was a kid unless he was one of their children. No. I know. He, no. I He wasn't the handyman. He. They clearly refer to him as part of, of the, the Rocco yeah, family. Yeah, of the Rocco family. family. Yeah, and I don't know if he was one of their children. Again, they were older, so they would have had older children. I know that Eve was 15 when Debbie went missing. Debbie and the boys went missing. I don't know how old Chrissy was. So Rocco was older than her, I believe. Buffalo. Buffalo, sorry. Buffalo Rocco was older than her. Or actually, I don't even know if his last name is Rocco. He could be Marlene's brother, or he could be Frank's brother, or he could be one of their kids. I don't know. Again, I don't know. But he's clearly part of the family. Clearly, he's attached to the Roccos, yes. And then they suggest a research idea. You know how some towns have Facebook groups like, you know you're from blah, blah, if blah, blah, blah. And people post old pics or memories of stories or public figures from the old days. I wonder if there's something for their town like that. And you could ask for people who, one, either worked at the restaurant or knew the Roccos, and two, remembered Deb and the boys, or at least remembered their disappearance happening. Um, yeah, I belong to several Newberry Park pages. I belong to several Thousand Oaks. And then the Conejo Valley, which I did not even know was part of Thousand Oaks. Um, but through research, figured out that it was. And I have posted um, the newspaper articles and about the disappearance. And I, I really didn't post about the Roccos because I found them and I don't need to blast them on Facebook too. I did I over and over again. I, I mean, I've, I've had some conversations with people and weirdly enough, I, it's no one remembers so far. No one's come forward and said they remember the story. I even belonged to a high school page for Newberry park high school because I wanted to get information on like Debbie before she even met John cause she went to Newberry high school, Newberry park high school. And um, so I think I belong to six or seven and yes, thank you for your, research idea I've I've posted everywhere that I could possibly find and some of them won't let me in because you have to give the reason why you're joining you have to be local to the page or have grown up that grown up there and I'm always totally honest about why I want to join and I would say 90% of them let me in a couple of them have not so and then our last comments and questions is from Stephanie and she says I think it's strange she went from a RN to a waitress maybe she met someone at the cafe if she was on and off her medication, her mental state wouldn't be right. Maybe she took off with another man. And then she asks about any DNA hits yet. Okay, so, well, yes, that's always been the theory, is that she left John for another man. I mean, he writes that. He he believes that. Uh, the Cronin family doesn't believe it. The Kidwell family, I'm sure, does believe it. And But as far as um, 
her going from a, a RN to a waitress. I, I've thought a lot about that and I don't think it's that weird in retrospect because a nurse works 12 hour shifts. She had a husband who worked in twin boys. How is she going to find someone to watch the boys every time? She has a long shift. Both, yeah. They yeah. both have to work. I think that waitressing was probably a way for her to make extra money and um, an easier way for her to have something to do with the boys. If she was that close to that family and it was their restaurant that she worked at. Who knows if she even could take the boy to work with her. I worked in a restaurant where the family was always there. And there were toddlers all the way up to 20-year-olds at in the restaurant that were family members all yeah. the time. So It I could mean, have just been an easy, yeah, she could have, convenient switch. Right. She yeah. could have taken him to work while someone was working in the office. And they hung out in the back of the restaurant or whatever. I don't think it's that. I actually don't think it's that weird. She went from a an RN to an, a nurse. I mean, RN to a waitress, considering that she had two small children. I don't think it's that weird. The last part is I wanted to talk about um, this, the part I was reading again in the diary about where John was writing. And the one thing that the Cronin family has always said is that Deborah wrote letters all the time. She was always writing letters to her family. And you had even commented in the last episode about how he said he would settle for a letter instead of like people are saying like, is she at home? Did you come home? And he says, I would settle for a letter. And you had made a comment like he's going to, he settle, he'd settle for a letter. I, there's something. And, and again, I go back and forth, back and forth and back and forth, but I'm going to spit this out. Is there something innocent about that statement that he says he would settle for a letter because it wasn't a calculated thing. It was like more of a like, she writes letters, I would settle for her just sending me a letter. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I get what you're saying. But I also come from the other side where if you're mentally unstable enough to kill somebody, you're mentally unstable enough to pretend that you didn't kill somebody. No, yeah, I get it. And that's where we keep going back and forth. I mean, yes, John was a suspect. Yeah, he's the husband. And he was the number one suspect. And he had plenty of time. Did he have cause? It doesn't seem like it. No. But we don't know what happened over those missing four days. You know what I mean? And then is it a possibility that she ran away? Her family doesn't think so. But women do it all the time. So the bottom line in all of this is that every possibility is possible. Is possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. Be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode. Until next time, I'm Kat, and remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.
Attention all insurance agents with a current life or medical insurance license. Select Quote has immediate openings for licensed insurance agents looking to build a rewarding career. And you can even work from the comfort of your home. Our average employee makes $75,000 and our top performers make well over $150,000 per year. Yes, I said $150,000. Insurance professionals, are you sick of looking and paying for leads? Would you like to have more than one product or carrier solution to offer? Do you wish that your entrepreneurial spirit and hard work was rewarded? If you answered yes and you feel you have what it takes, Select Quote is looking for you. With a fun and fast work environment, multiple products, pre qualified leads, and great training, this is an opportunity you do not want to miss. Apply online at selectquote.com backslash careers or call 800 896 9009 to learn more. Select Quote is hiring right now. Don't miss out. Call 800 896 9009 or visit selectquote.com backslash careers. Call 800 896 9009. 800 896 9009. 